If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We are going to be reading verses 1 through 10. This is the wonderful story in the Bible about a little man long ago who wanted to really get a good eye on Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was just too short. Hmm. No, that wasn't a joke for sure, people in the house. Zacchaeus was really small, the Bible says so, and he wanted to get a good look at Jesus, but he wasn't able, he wasn't able to because of his stature. So he climbed a tree and he drew the attention of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I know we just had you sit down, but I want to get you up on your feet again. Stand with me. I know, I know, I know. We, we, it's spiritual exercise this morning. You need it, I need it. And I want to make sure that no one falls asleep this morning. Amen. Luke chapter 19, say amen if you have it. Amen. amen. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. It's talking about the Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw what was happening, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. My intentions this morning... Uh, Actually, let me, let me pause there for a moment. Let me ask you, how many of you have actually read through the book of Luke this past week? It's one of those things I want to do every week, um, sort of as an encouragement. Um, I would imagine that those of you who have taken the time to read through the Word of God are benefiting in major ways. How many of you, just with a show of hands, are, you, you, you've been seeing things you've never saw before from the reading of God's Word? It, <clears throat> There's just nothing like the Word of God. There's just nothing like the Word of God. How many of you have computers at home? Let me see. A computer at home. Even if it's just your phone. How many of you have devices at home that are not updated? Hmm. How many of you have devices that are not connected to the Internet? Hmm? I, got a, I, got, I got a device at home that's not connected to the Internet. And guess what? It serves me no purpose. Because the only thing that, it, that I can do with it is retrieve information that I previously put into it. It's unable to give me any new information because there's none in it. It applies to our spiritual lives as well. When we tap into the Word of God, He is able to upgrade us. 
He's able to give us new information that we could benefit from. And as believers, I don't know about you, but I need something new, something fresh from the Lord today that's going to get me not only through my today, but my tomorrow, the rest of the week, and the rest of my life. In other words, the point is that today I operate according to the wisdom of the Word of God. I'm not content. I'm like Paul the Apostle in, <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 3. He was making the point that he denounced the wisdom of this world. He denounced everything he knew to be true for the cause of Christ. Because he knew the Word of God had not only made a difference in his life, but the Word of God was going to continue to make a difference in his life because he surrendered himself over to the truth of God's Word. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is just off the top of my head. It's not on your screen. Galatians 2, 20. I love it. It speaks to Paul the Apostle's character, his disposition, if you will, concerning his commitment to the truth of the Word of God. In Galatians 2, 20, he says, Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Only the Word of God was able to make a difference in His life. Only the Word of God can make a difference in your life and mine here today. And so having said that, my intention is just simply to give you some truths that I was able to extrapolate, if you will, from this book of Luke. We read this one particular passage, but I want to talk about some truths that I was able to discover from the book as a whole, and some of them actually come from this one particular passage uh, concerning the story of Zacchaeus. And these are themes we're going to be talking about this morning, themes that are prevalent throughout the entire gospel of Luke, themes that are actually prevalent throughout the entire Four Gospels, the entire Bible, if you will. These are truths that when you and I, number one, when we take heed, when we hear them, when we, when, we, when we apply them to our lives, what is the end result? When, we, when you take biblical truth from the Word of God, what happens? Wondrous things begin to happen in our lives. That second point is profound growth begins to take place in our lives. I have never grown an inch, figuratively speaking, in the things that pertain to God outside of truth of the Word of God. And thirdly, when we apply the Word of God, not only do we grow personally, but eventually others can come to Christ as well. Uh, how many of you have loved ones that don't know Jesus? How many of you have friends that do not know Jesus? How many of you have co-workers that do not know Jesus. The point here is to receive the influence that we can receive from the Word of God so that ultimately somebody can get saved. So these are the things. I'm going to list them right away. You won't see this up on your screen just yet. But these are the four things that we're going to be talking about here this morning. Number one, we want to highlight the love that Jesus Christ had for the poor and needy people of His day. No matter where you read in the Gospels, especially here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ is emphasized. His humanity is emphasized. And in fact, Luke refers to Him as the Son of Man. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. 
But the point is that Jesus Christ went, went above and beyond to meet the needs of the common folk, if you will. The second thing we're going to be talking about is this amazing love that Jesus Christ had for sinners. There's a difference between the needs that he was meeting in the lives of the people and the sinners that he was trying to reach. So we're going to be talking about that this morning as well. Number three, we're going to be talking about this reverence that Luke actually emphasizes throughout his book. We're going to put some verses up on the screen. You'd be able to write them, write them down. And if you can't write them down fast enough, uh, you, listen, take a picture of the screen when you see it. Because I'm, sh- I'm, I'm going to highlight some verses. I'm not going to refer to them. I'm just going to have them up on the screen. Um, wonderful verses that will help you concerning all of these points. But we just simply don't have time to cover them all. And lastly, we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. To follow the example that he left us in his word. You might be wondering, uh, let me give you the title. I, I don't think I've given you the title yet. The title is just simply The Man. Just simply The Man. And you may be wondering in your mind right now, why in the world would I title uh, this message that way? The point is that the intention is that I want to convey the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was the God-man, according to Luke, and in fact, according to all the Gospels, no matter where you read it, he's referred to as the God-man. How many know this morning that Jesus Christ was 100% God, but he was also 100% man? And Luke does a wonderful job at conveying Jesus Christ, at presenting Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, because he, he places this premium emphasis on the humanity of Jesus Christ. The humanity of the God-man who came as a friend of sinners. How many know that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners? He's not a condemning God. How many know that? How many know that? He's a loving God. He is, in fact, a friend of sinners. And Jesus Christ actually came because he wanted to influence the world, not just the Jews. When you read, for example, the, the Gospel of Matthew... There's this premium emphasis on Jesus' ministry to the Jewish people. It's as if he was writing to a Jew for the Jews. But when you read the book of Luke, he, he was, Luke was actually writing to a Gentile, Theophilus. I think that's how you pronounce that name. I probably got it wrong. I probably ruined that name. But he was writing to a Gentile for the Gentiles and for the entire world. That is the emphasis of the book of Luke. And I'm going to pause there and I'm going to, I want to try to belabor this point just a little bit because it's important. It's important because in, in our religious circles today, we somehow bought into the idea that Jesus Christ came to influence us with the spirit of religion. And that somehow, if you adopt that ideal, that idea, if you will, somehow has nothing to do with uh, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's just not the case. Luke goes above and beyond to present the Jesus Christ who came to save the entire world. Now granted, the entire world is not going to be saved. But the point is that Jesus came for the world and not just for people. Not just for a nation. He came to offer salvation to the entire world. 
and listen to the prophetic voice from, say, thousands of years before, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. You might want to write this verse down. It's the prophetic voice concerning the God-man who was to come to do a wonderful work here on earth. And Zechariah 6.12 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold the man, hence the title, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Which is, of course, a reference to the body. So Jesus Christ, one day, in eternity past, He made the decision to step down from His throne to become flesh, just like you and I, right? So that we can, one day, be able to relate with Him. I love the author of Hebrews and how he paints that picture of being able to relate with Jesus Christ as the great high priest in Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to Paul the Apostle refer to this same man, the man, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And I quote, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. So this morning, we're going to place an emphasis on the God-man and what he truly came to fulfill in our lives. I don't want you to turn to it, but just if you want to write this down, it, it concerns with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Write this down. It, and it has to... Luke chapter 3. When you get an opportunity, if you haven't taken the time to read the book this week, this past week, listen, read, read chapter 3. Chapter 3, Luke, what he does is he presents the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And this is important because it speaks to the idea of the God-man. The man, the divine man who came for all of mankind. In this genealogy, Luke 3, as presented to us from Luke, if you know, he actually goes all the way back to Adam. He doesn't stop at Abraham. He doesn't stop at one of the Old Testament patriarchs. He actually goes all the way back to Adam. The emphasis on all of mankind, on all of humanity, is a reason why. Read it in its context, pick up a commentary, and you will appreciate what you will learn. So Luke was so convinced of Jesus' assignment to all mankind that he presented Christ's genealogy going back all the way to Adam as opposed to <clears throat> the way Matthew did according to the Jewish line only. Listen to point number one. I referred to it a few moments back when I opened up. This point number one, if you're writing down, is God's heart for the poor and needy. God's heart for the poor and needy. No matter where you read in the Gospels, especially the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, I should pause here and let you know that the Holy Spirit is emphasized more in the book of Luke than in any other gospel. It's one of the prevalent themes in the gospel of Luke. We're not going to talk too much about that today because we just don't have the time to do so. But concerning this point, God's heart for the poor and needy. According to Luke, Jesus repeatedly displayed complete compassion 
towards those who were outcasts of Jewish society, including Gentiles, Samaritans, even women, tax collectors, and lepers. That's right. Jesus Christ placed a premium emphasis on everybody, including our women. And many of the people that Jesus Christ was actually reaching out to, they were not only poor, but they were actually extremely sick and ill and diseased. It, it, it's no partiality with Jesus Christ. He wanted to reach the entire masses. Listen to this quote. Luke's Gospel confronts us with the pervasive reminder that it is precisely to such felt insignificant, such smallness, that God is drawn. He has a great heart for the marginalized. That describes my Jesus. Turn over a couple pages to Luke chapter 17. I want you to read these two verses with me. We're talking about Jesus Christ's ministry to the poor and to the needy. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Luke 17 verses 11 through 13. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, He was passing, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Imagine everybody that was religious during the time of Jesus Christ, all the Levites, all the Pharisees, all the Sarites, Sadducees, all the scribes, everybody who considered themselves to be religious, and in fact, all of society as a whole. They sort of isolated or ostracized the lepers. And here it is in this one particular passage. I'm not going to spend too much time here, but I want you to see this. In Luke 17, in these verses, Jesus actually takes the time to visit with the lepers. Now granted, the lepers actually, the Bible says they stood at a distance because they were conscientious of the legal system or the standard of society concerning their, their behavior. Or their presence in society. The law said they had to be separate. And in fact, whenever they walked or wandered in society, they actually had to call out, unclean, unclean, so that the people in society knew they were coming through. But Jesus, my Jesus, your Jesus, actually took the time to minister to lepers. He took the time to minister to lepers. Let me ask you this. If Jesus were alive today, right now, if he were to manifest himself on this planet, literally the way he did 2,000 plus years ago, where would we find him? Where would he go? Who would he seek out? Who said that? Skid Row. That was on my mind. I don't have it written, but I, when I was looking over this, that's exactly what I... Where would Jesus... Could I, I asked myself that question. Where would Jesus be? Where would He go? What audience would He target? He'd go right to Skid Row. And I know many, many, many people in society today say, we, we sort of look in that direction and we condemn, right? And we sort of say, well, we reap what we sow. They find themselves in that predicament because of bad decisions in their past. Well, they may be right... To some degree, not absolutely, to some degree. But so what? Does that mean we are not to seek them out? Does that mean we are not to minister to them? Does it mean we are not to involve ourselves in their lives? 
with some ministry activity or program, Jesus will go right to Skid Row. In fact, if he were to descend, I'm, I could can, I can picture him descending from the heavens right now. He's descending and he's going right over to downtown Los Angeles. Not to Philadelphia, not to anywhere else, not to Jerusalem. He's going right to Skid Row. Because Jesus is after the poor and the needy. Look at verse 19. Luke 17. Look at, look at his response. And he said unto him, Go thy way, your faith has made you whole. Go thy way, your faith has made you whole. Your Bible may actually have the word well. Your faith has made you well. That word well does not encompass the true meaning of the text. It's not an accurate rendering. Because the Greek word there is sozo. S-O-D-E dash Z-O. Sozo. And it's a reference to our every aspect of our lives. The man, they... I should say, all the lepers, they confronted Jesus. They were lepers. They wanted healing. He said, go thy way. He was obviously referring to the physical illness. But when he declares over them, he says, look at the verse again, 19. He says, he says unto them, go thy way. Your faith has made you whole. And then when you read the context, when you read the final verses, we're not going to look at them. I got to move on. But when you read that passage, they experience salvation. No, not all of them. But salvation was experienced there. The word whole is a better rendering because it refers to the physical healing they received as well as salvation that was received by the declaration of faith. In other words, his love, the love of Jesus, the love of our Jesus is not limited just simply to want, wanting to save us. He doesn't just simply want to save us. Jesus wants to bless us completely. No, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I don't even go there. The devil is a liar. But Jesus Christ wants to bless us. Yes or no? Let me see your hands. Does he not want to bless us? Write this verse down. John 10.10. Concerning this point. He wants to minister to the poor and needy. He says, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. It's not just a reference to salvation there. How about Philippians 4.19? Put that one down. Philippians 4.19. And my God shall meet your needs, all of your needs, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus is after our souls. Yes. But how many know that when he died on the cross, he did not only die for our sins, he died for our sicknesses and our diseases as well. Amen, somebody. I'm alone. I'm alone on that point. But I'm okay. I'm okay. So think about the poor needy that you come in contact with. Because we have to make application to this point. Think about the poor needy in your life. Your family members, your co-workers, your friends, your children. The people that you come in contact with on a regular basis that do not know Jesus Christ. In what ways can the Lord use you to make a difference in their lives? It's, it's, an, it's, it's an important point, right? Because as believers, we get religious. We like to get religious. By default, we get into the Word of God and we get religious and what, what happens? By default, we sort of isolate ourselves from 
the people that we deem, you know, oh, I, I, I certainly can't hang out with him or her. We, we ostracize ourselves from society nowadays when we get religious. And we sort of kick to the curve those who are not like us. And we isolate ourselves and we close our doors. Right? And we don't make room in our lives for God to reach the people in our lives. Does that make sense? That's not harsh. That's not bad to say, right? That's, I can say that, right? God wants to reach our loved ones. How many have loved ones that don't know Jesus? How many have loved ones that are not financially stable, that are struggling right now in many ways? Because that's actually better to the point. We all have people that have needs. God is looking to meet somebody's needs through you and I. Second point. God's love for sinners. There's a distinction again between this point and the previous point. The previous point was his love for the poor and needy. Jesus was after the poor and the needy. But he was also after the sinners. He was after the sinners. And in fact, we see this all over Luke's gospel. He was always looking to offer repentant sinners forgiveness. And if you look at, give me the next point, please. Look at these verses. We're not going to look at them. They're just too many. We're not going to look at any of them. But if you want to take a picture of the screen, take a picture of the screen. Because these verses, look, look at chapter 3, chapter 6, 11, 17, 24, chapter 5, 7, 12, and 18. And these are just some of the examples from Luke's gospel alone that make it clear that Jesus Christ was after sinners. Why is this point important? Because sometimes, especially when we're not, when we don't got it going on all the time. How many perfect people in the church here today? Any, anybody perfect here? No. No, we're, we're not perfect. We got issues. My issues got issues. You know, I wake up in the morning and I got to apologize because of stuff that go on in my mind when I'm asleep. You know, we got issues, right? But listen, sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, what happens is that we sort of wander away from God, believing that He has this condemning side. Is He a God who condemns? Anybody? Is He a God who condemns? No, not at all. Yes, He's a consuming fire, but He's a God of love, for sure. And even in this one particular text, go back to Luke 19. Because in this one particular text, we're reading about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And this man, according to the text, and we can safely infer, because he actually says, Lord, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will, I will. You know, he said, fourfold. I'm going to give it back fourfold. I'm going to make amends. I'm going to do, Lord Jesus, whatever it is I have to do. Which gives us the impression that he was guilty of a whole lot. We talked about the poor and needy here in downtown Los Angeles, Skid Row. But I would imagine that there were poor people alive then as well, right or wrong. How many? Yes, right? We can infer that, right? Easily. Without any violations whatsoever of any text. Can you imagine from Zacchaeus' perspective... The defrauding that he was guilty of before he came in contact with Jesus Christ. That perhaps, perhaps he was guilty of making many people poor. He defrauded a lot of people. Have you 
thought about that before at all? A man like Zacchaeus. It was people like him that actually sort of with their policies influence the economic system of their day. He was probably responsible for a lot of poor people. The circumstances of a lot of people back then. And so he finds himself in the presence of Jesus Christ. And number one, what happens? He shows remorse. He shows remorse. He comes in contact with the God-man. He is impacted. His spirit agrees with the testimony of Jesus Christ. That he was, in fact, the God-man. God manifested in the flesh. And he responds accordingly. He recognizes. It's sort of like standing in a mirror. When you stand in the mirror, if it's clean, you're going to see yourself clearly, right? Some of you did a really good job in the mirror this morning. You, you look really good. You look really good. Your hair is in the right place. Nothing's out of place, right? The mirror served its purpose. But listen, when you come into contact with Jesus Christ, the perfect mirror, something happens. This reflection takes place. And we, he, he affords us the opportunity to really take a good look at what we are made of. And Zacchaeus says, I'm guilty. He made that declaration. Secondly, he repented of his sins in the presence of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he was willing to make amends. He was willing to make amends. And Jesus' response was, I believe salvation. Because what does the verse say? Look at Luke 19, verse... Oh, I got it in front of me. Right here. Hmm? Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Was he saying that salvation was a reality, became a reality for everybody in the house? There were a lot of people in this house. Is that what he was saying? Not at all. (laughs) He was referring to Zacchaeus. He was referring to the case. He was having a conversation with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry. I scrolled away from my, my place. Did I read Luke 15, 1 and 2? I did not, right? Okay, cool. Look at Luke 15, 1 and 2. Talking about this point concerning Jesus and his pursuit of sinners. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus, that's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Where were you? Let me ask you this. You don't have to respond, of course. But where were you when, when Jesus got a hold of you? Where were you? Hmm. It's that difficult, huh? I, I see you. your minds went up 
to the right. Your head, your eyes went up and to the right. You're thinking. He's thinking. He's thinking. Where were you when Jesus Christ got a hold of you? You heard the gospel for the very first time. And faith come alive on the inside of you. And you realize that you were a sinner and you needed him in your life. Right here in this passage, Luke chapter 15. You got a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of Sadducees. And they're on the outside looking in. And they're rebuking. They're criticizing. They're condemning Jesus Christ for being a friend of sinners. And yet Jesus finds himself with a crowd They realize, who realized that they were lost. That they were lost. And yet the people on the outside, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't realize that they were lost. Why? Because they were religious. They failed to realize their need for Jesus Christ in their lives. So what did Jesus do? Luke chapter 15. He gives them a parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And that begins from verse 3 and on. Begins at verse 3. We're not going to look at it. But he gives them a parable concerning the lost sheep. He, He wanted to convey to them his intentions for showing up in the first place. And they missed him. Question is for you and I. What is our role as believers in this world regarding the unsaved? What is our role as believers in this world Regarding the unsaved. Go back to Luke 19. Look at verse 10. Luke 19 verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his objective. That was his purpose. That was his assignment. That was his role. No matter what, how you want to look at it. It was his purpose. It's the reason why he came. He wanted to save Sinners, Matthew 18, 11, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You and I, Christ followers, we're his disciples. Should we not be about the same thing? Should we not be about the same thing? Can we make a difference in the life of someone? You and I today, can we make a difference? I don't have this on my notes, but Second Corinthians chapter 5 Beginning with verse 18. Put that down on your, on your notes. Beginning with verse 18 through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 5. You won't see it in the screen. 2 Corinthians 5. 18 through the end of that chapter. And it talks about the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have the ability given to us by the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God to make the ultimate difference in the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. All we have to do is open our mouths, talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. In fact, extend a firm handshake to somebody. Give a hug to somebody. How many of you have ever had one of these encounters where you gave somebody, no words, because perhaps the situation didn't allow for it, but you had an encounter with somebody, you gave somebody a firm handshake or a nice, nice, firm hug. And that person cried in your presence. Have you ever experienced that? So many times in my life. And then I end up crying too. I'm a, I'm a baby like that. Listen, I, I want to cry now. You want to cry? So, number one, invite somebody to church. Concerning this point, I'm still in this point. These are challenges. Invite somebody to church. These are things that we can realistically carry out in our lives. Jesus had an amazing love for sinners. 
So says the Word of God. You and I have to be about the same business. Invite somebody to church. If you don't have the words, invite somebody to church. Just, just bring them here. Somebody will grab a hold of that person. Secondly, open your homes to the unsaved. Ouch. I know this hurts. Because we don't, we don't necessarily like to open our doors. It's a challenge. I know. The culture, whatever the case might be. But it's a wonderful opportunity to see to it that your neighbor next door, your family members that you haven't seen in a long time, all you have to do is put a meal together and they will come running. How many like free? How many like free meals? Come on, let me see your hands. How many like free meals? Yeah, yeah. How many like to eat? I should ask, right? How many like to eat? Yeah, there you go. Don put his hands and his feet up in the air back there. We, we, we all like to eat. Open your door. Schedule. Put it on your calendar. A dinner for your neighbors, one on each side. Listen, just invite them in. No words, just a dinner. You'll be surprised how the Holy Spirit will run with that to, to minister mightily to somebody's life. Open your doors. Invite somebody, open your doors. Thirdly, initiate conversation. Initiate conversations about faith on the job, at school. No matter where you go, where you are, initiate conversation about your faith. And then ask somebody about where they are with their faith. Third point, got to move along. Reverence. Reverence. There are many passages in this one particular text, the one that we looked at today. Many passages in the book of Luke that, that actually talk about how Jesus Christ impacted so many people's lives. Look on your screen. These verses, just to name a few are passages where Jesus Christ, just simply by coming into contact with people, how they were impacted by His presence. How so? Because they knew who He was. Not everybody received Him as the Son of God. But those that did were extremely impacted by His ministry. Very first time in the prison cell, long ago. You know my story. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. But I grew up knowing there was a God. I've always believed that God existed. I just didn't live for the God I believed existed. And one day in the prison cell in 1989, my world fell apart. Somebody took the opportunity in my brokenness to talk to me about the Lord. And in my brokenness, in my brokenness I was vulnerable to hear about this Jesus Christ. And I opened my heart immediately and He saved my soul. That was 30 years ago. There are people in your lives, friends, family members, co-workers, etc. That are broken right now. Right now they are broken. And it's the perfect fertile opportunity for you to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And guess what? The reality is they want to hear about it. They want because they are already looking at you and they already know that you are different. Low me down just a little bit, Habib. Low me down. They already know that you're different from them. They already know that there's something special about you. They know that you go to church. They know that you read the Word of God. They already know these things. Take advantage in their brokenness. They are waiting to hear about Jesus Christ. Take Ron, for example. Ron seizes every opportunity he gets to talk to somebody about Jesus. Whether they want to hear it or not. I mean, I saw him yesterday. He pulled the tongue out of somebody because they didn't want to let... <laughs> no, Ron and I went out to 
um, Boyle Heights in downtown yesterday. We went out evangelizing. So, did you good with these references? Took a picture? It'd be nice for you to look at them. In these passages, the word fear is used as opposed to the word reverence. But the word fear in its context in these verses actually refers to reverence. They were in the presence of God Himself and they revered Him. See, some words are difficult for me to say because of my Spanglish, my accent. I know, I know, I know. Consider Zacchaeus. Go back with me to Luke 19. Consider Zacchaeus. We're talking about reverence. Reverence. And look at verse 8. Luke 19, verse 8. Let's take a look at how he responded to Jesus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That was immediate. That was immediate. It wasn't a week or two weeks, a month or year. Jesus' evangelistic efforts, it wasn't. It was immediate. Jesus Christ was walking through that region. I believe it was Bethany, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. He was walking through there and he was targeting Zacchaeus. Yes, he was going someplace. He, he was going, Jericho was it? He was heading someplace. But he knew because he was God. He knew that he was going to encounter, have an encounter with this short man up on a tree looking ridiculous with his, with his gay clothing, meaning his expensive clothing, right? And Jesus took the time to minister the gospel to him, essentially, is what took place. And he got saved. And not only that, he made amends. At least he made the declaration to make amends. How many believe he actually followed through with it? I believe it. Absolutely. I believe it. Why not? I made amends. I'm still making amends today. How about you? How about you? So not only is that reverence concerning Zacchaeus, but it's also repentance. Reverence leads to repentance. And the fertile ground or soil is brokenness. If you can get somebody in the midst of their brokenness, newsflash, this is a perfect idea for you. It works. If you can reach out to somebody in their brokenness, they will be sensitive to what thus saith the Lord. They will be sensitive to your witness. And it can, in fact, lead to salvation. Look at verse 9. It says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. He took the time to acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge Jesus, and he received a blessing in return. What kind of questions do you think he must have been living with prior to his encounter with Jesus? What levels of condemnation was he experiencing? What frustrations? What difficulties? Yeah, he had money. Money doesn't bring happiness, does it? No, it doesn't bring peace either. It just doesn't do that. This guy had it all. But what kind of questions do you think he was probably living with before he had an encounter with Jesus? He knew, Jesus knew he was ready. He was ready. 
And the questions that he must have had are no different for you and I here today. They're no different. They've never been any different. Questions like, number one, what is the meaning of life? Number two, why am I here? Number three, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? I'm sure of it concerning Zacchaeus. And I'm sure that he was convinced that Jesus Christ was the answer to all of his questions. And it all resulted from a reverential acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Consider Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Because nothing has changed. The meaning of life hasn't changed. The purpose of life hasn't changed. None of it's changed. It's all the same today as it was back then. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 reads, For God... Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Reverence God. Respect God. Acknowledge God. This is the whole duty of man. He didn't, he didn't create us so that we can live life on our own terms. That's not what life is about. We can choose to live that way, but ultimately, we must be willing to pay the ultimate price. Eternal separation from Jesus Christ. So how about you and I? Concerning this reverence. How do we acknowledge Him in our lives today? How are you acknowledging Jesus Christ in your life today? Hebrews 11.6 It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Does it relate? Of course this verse relates. Because my faith is my total and complete acknowledgement in a very personal and intimate way of my relationship with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So my faith avails me of much for me personally. Not so, not, not just me, but according to James chapter 5, I believe it's James chapter 5 verse 16, it says the faithful fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So my faith not only brings about this stability in my life, Concerning the things that pertain to God in His Word. But my faith also serves to influence others. James 5, 16. But what happens? What becomes of your life and mine? If we do not take the time to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Sinners who don't know Jesus, who don't have faith, they don't have salvation. Believers who fail to live out their faith have no stability. Have no stability. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be unstable. Point number four, the last point. This one's going to be short, I promise you. Some of you are thinking about that, that chicken, that, that burger. How many are going to in and out after this? No, right? I'm only kidding. Listen to this quote. And the point here is following his example. This point has to do about following Jesus. Listen to this quote. As we, his people, receive his grace, we ought to work earnestly to eradicate sickness, destitution, and earthly discomfort. The mercy we have received vertically should extend itself out horizontally in tangible acts of sacrificial love to our neighbors. Above all, however, we must heed Jesus' parting words and speak repentance and forgiveness to all nations. That's Luke 24, 47. Above all, however, we must heed Jesus' parting words and speak repentance and forgiveness to all nations. 
thus offering not only earthly comfort, but eternal comfort with Christ Himself. You and I are gifted in that way. We talked about 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through the end of the chapter. It speaks to that. All you have to do, all we have to do is open our mouths. The challenge, therefore, is this. In terms of following His examples. I'm not going to read the verses. I don't have them in front of me. But Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Write that down. The first point concerning um, following Jesus' example is to be a witness. We have to be a witness. Is the, the role of a disciple, is the role of a, of a God-fearing man or woman. We are called to be witnesses. Not just to be a follower of Jesus and enjoy His salvation, but to be a witness, Luke 5.10. Secondly, we are called to be compassionate towards everyone around us. Love thy neighbor as yourself. And that is Luke 13.19. We're called to be compassionate. Number three, gratitude. Luke 7, verses 44 through 47. We are to express our gratitude concerning our salvation. And it will go a long way to making a difference in somebody's life. Think about the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. That's Luke 7, 44 through 47. That's the passage where this woman took the time to bathe his feet with her hair and tears. She was impacted by Jesus Christ in a very special way. It didn't matter to her who was around her. It just didn't matter. I'm going to go the extra mile with my faith. I don't care what my sisters say, what my brothers say, what these Pharisees are saying. I'm going to bathe my master's feet with my tears and with my hair. That's gratitude. I promise you that when we live that way, the world around us will be impacted greatly. How many believe that? I challenge you to live life on mission, which is what we like to say around here, right? Or to live life intentionally. It's around here somewhere. <laughs> it's in the verse. It's, it's in the verse. Let me summarize. I'm done. Let me summarize. The first point that I was, that I was making this morning has to do with recognizing Jesus big heart for the poor and needy. Jesus has a big heart for the poor and needy. And that you and I, if we are to follow Jesus Christ, if we are to follow His example, we are to minister to the poor and needy in our lives as well. Amen? Secondly, we talked about His love for sinners. God's love for sinners. Does He not love sinners? Are we not proof and evidence of his love for sinners thirdly consider the reverence that we should have for the things of God and how through this reverence it could not only impact our lives but the people around us and lastly we are to follow his example follow his example walk in his footsteps Jesus Christ died so that we, may have, we might have life and that we may have it more abundantly. 
What about those that are outside of this, these walls? Those that do not know Jesus Christ personally. The challenge, the challenge that I posed earlier was just, listen, they're simple. Invite somebody to come out to church. Invite, invite somebody to come out to church. You don't have to say a word. Just invite them to come to church. Especially if they're broken. How many know somebody who's going through a difficult time right now? Invite them to come out to church. How many know somebody who's struggling financially? Invite them to come out to church. We may not be able to give them a whole lot of money, give them money, but we can put some food on their table. We can do that much as a church. Take advantage. That's a, that's a viable opportunity. Follow in his footsteps. Can we sing a song, church? Can you stand with me, church? Let us sing. Let us worship. Let us leave here today knowing that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was looking to make a difference in everyone's life. Thank you.
salvation you provided for us. Thank you so much for shedding your blood the way that you did. And Lord, I believe, I believe you shed every drop of blood in your body for my sins. I believe you shed every drop of, bo- uh, every drop of blood in your body for the sins of mankind. We believe, and this morning we thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for the pain you endured. We thank you for the scourging, the suffering, the stripes on your back. We thank you for bleeding, for offering yourself up, a sacrifice for our sins, John 10.10, so that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. Father, I pray your blessings upon us as we leave this place. Please be with us in a very, very special way. And bring us back again, Father. Bring us back on Wednesday when we can look into the specifics of your word in Bible study. And Lord God, certainly bring us back next Sunday, if it is your will for us to have this week. Bring us back that we may come into this place to worship you intentionally in spirit and in truth. These things we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget, we have a a meeting immediately in about 20 minutes. It's a business meeting. We are meeting right over... Right over here, one of the, this first room right here. Please, if you want to attend, if you're a member, please join us. And also, before I forget, 5 o'clock, if you are a person who appreciates prayer, please come on back and join us.